and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone, for another week of Challenges That Change Us. There has been some really good feedback on last week's episode with Hannah. So if you missed it, tag it for later as Hannah really draws back the curtains on her experience with anorexia and bullying. Also, a quick shout out that I have two spots left this year to book your teams into for a workshop. Our signature workshops are definitely the disc profiling workshops. That's where we come together and we unpack what motivates and drives human behavior. We look at how to turn conflict into collaboration and evaluate your team's performance. If you're listening and you would love to have a conversation with me about your team, DM me on Facebook or LinkedIn or email me directly and we'll pop the email in the show notes for you. And on that note, If you've not already joined our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, jump on over. That is where we all hang out and I would love to see you there. Now on to today's pod. Let me introduce you to Alison Shamar, an imposter syndrome expert, international speaker, certified coach and media contributor. Through her work, Alison empowers global organizations, teams and individuals with the knowledge, tools and methods grounded in science that they need to overcome imposter syndrome and perform as their most confident selves. Before we dive in, I want to emphasize the emotional depth of this interview. It is not every day that a conversation moves us to tears, but this one did. Alison, a true authority on imposter syndrome, opens up about her own journey. She recounts the pivotal moment when in a high-stake leadership role, she found herself grappling with a panic attack in the bathroom. This event served as a catalyst for her exploration into imposter syndrome. I'd like to issue a trigger warning for this episode. We delve into the profound impact of experienced family and domestic violence, and Alison's resilience shines through as she sheds a light on the harrowing effects of these experiences. But she also revealed how this path has shaped her into the woman that she is today. If any of this content distresses you or you'd like to talk to someone, please reach out to your people, a professional, or call a helpline like Lifeline on 13 11 14. Let me introduce you to this amazing Alison Shimar. Welcome, Alison, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy to be here, Ali. I mean, to Ali's. I know this is going to be a great conversation. I know. And for our listeners, we haven't actually met until today. So I'm super excited. I always, it's something special when you meet someone for the first time on a podcast. You have no idea where the conversation's going to go, what the relationship's going to be like. But I just know from the conversations we've had already just today that this is going to be a goodie. 
Me too. I feel exactly the same. So as I said, I'm so ready for this chat and wherever it's going to take us. So thank you for creating this space for me. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. And Alison, I love to start every podcast with asking what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal in particular? I'm sort of chuckling to myself at the moment because the shirt that I'm wearing kind of represents that, which was actually not deliberate. So a bit of a funny moment. But the animal that I would choose is actually a, a tiger. And I choose a tigress because of their, you know, strength and independence, you know, and their ability to really forge ahead and, and forge their own path alone, but also, you know, I guess connect back with other tigers or tigresses as needed. And I very much see myself as that type of woman, someone who loves to be around people and support people, but who is also fiercely independent and forges her own path in many ways. And I'm very comfortable in both of those aspects. So quick story behind that is several years ago, a very, in my previous life as a technology leader, a boss of mine whom I adored, and he was a wonderful ally and manager to me. He actually out of the blue one day called me Tigress. And I just thought it was this wonderful, you know, synergy of, I guess, call it the universe. And that's kind of stuck. And so that would be my answer to that. Um, and I'm channeling a bit of a leopard tiger shirt today, which was unexpected. So again, also good synergy and energy for this chat. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you think your younger self as a teenager and early 20s, is that the sort of animal you would have used to describe you back then? Look, that's a really good question. And I think it would have been something similar, whether or not it was, you know, that exact Tigress, but I think through the nature, you know, I had quite a difficult childhood, which I know many of us have had in our lives, you know, and we all have our own story. And I had to be fiercely independent and had to grow up very quickly because of some things that I faced. And so I think, again, that independent, that fierceness, but also softness and that duality and that ability to be with others, but also forge your own path and have to stand up for yourself and that sort of thing has always been in me. So would it have been exactly the same? Back to your question. I'm not sure, but I'm sure it would have been in and around similar. And I'm sure we're going to get into some of that story today because the more I interview different guests on this show, the more it really highlights to me just how each chapter of our life really influences the next chapter and we kind of collect things along the way. And so when we when we do sit here and we have an hour together, it is sometimes that reflection piece of going back and thinking, you know, how did that influence me and what did I take away from that time? I do that too, right? And that's another reason that drew me into this chat with you and and, and to everyone, you know, listening to this, I'm, I'm so happy to be here and I agree in terms of, you know, each chapter sort of guiding us to the next. And I do think there are also, for a better word, silver linings that come out of challenging situations. And again, I know for me, I had a very difficult childhood and I'll probably touch on some of those elements today. And I had to be very resilient. I had to be very independent I think, sorry, the resilience was a byproduct or the silver lining from going through some of these childhood traumas and difficult times that I had. And, but those, you know, those early chapters then led me to be the type of person that I was that was able to survive and get through those periods. And then, you know, each chapter goes on to the next and catapults me forward. And I've been able to pull more silver linings. And, you know, I just recently turned 40 as well. And it's not an age thing with me or no matter what age we know we are, but it was still a defining a new chapter because I was starting a new decade. 
And for me, every time I start a new decade or I look at my life in 10-year periods, that's just something that I've always done in terms of measuring where am I adding my life? Am I happy? Am I achieving what I want to achieve? And am I happy doing that, you know, or do I want to change something? And so, yes, I agree. And I look at it in the context of decades and I'm just couple of months into a new decade. So it's an interesting transition time as well. And of course, I want to ask you about that, but that's not why I've brought you on today and it may come out. But my first response is like, oh, so what were your answers? But maybe the place to start would be around 2013, because that's a significant time in your life. Are you able to share with us perhaps what was happening in your world at that time? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, which was also a decade ago. So we're still on that, you know, that theme, which you know, those periods of decades. And my life took a, an unexpected turn in 2013. And what I mean by that is, what happened then is what led me to be exactly where I am right now, and with the expertise that I have and the work that I'm doing around the world. And so to take you all back just, you know, to, to 2013, so I was in my late 20s and in my previous life as a person working in the technology sector and I held multiple leadership roles and built my career and there I was in my late 20s and, you know, things were good. For a better word, I was living the corporate dream. I was doing very well. I worked in a great large American company. I was flying to the US all the time. And everything looked good, you know, I was performing well and everything, I guess, from the exterior looking in, looked good, was good, was performing. But on the inside, I was really, really suffering. So at the time, I was experiencing uh, imposter syndrome, but I didn't know it. And I had been experiencing it for a long time. And what it had done is it had started to take its toll on my mental health and my well-being. I had become... Uh, which is essentially what they call high-functioning anxiety. So I was constantly fearful that my boss was going to call me and say, Alison, you don't deserve to be here. We shouldn't have given you this job. You shouldn't be leading the team. You know, you're going to blow all of the deals for the company. And I just literally went to work so many days, so fearful of being exposed as this intellectual fake phony or fraud, which I believed myself to be, despite evidence of the contrary, which was I was in the role, I was succeeding, I was doing well. To the, Again, to the outside world looking in, I was a successful young woman who, you know, was earning great money and doing all these things. And that, that was genuine. But on the inside, there was a disconnect with me between that. And at the time, I didn't realise that that's what imposter syndrome is and that's how it makes you think and feel. But I had no idea imposter syndrome even existed. So there was a particular day where this anxiety and angst and fear had built up over the course of a few months and it caused me to have a very debilitating panic attack in my office, although this won't come as a surprise to you, Ali, but that day might have been, you know, a decade ago, but I can remember it so clearly, you know, down to every little fibre or hair on my body that was standing up, you know, at the time. So I had to bolt out of the office, you know, to to the restrooms and I had this um very severe panic attack and it was very debilitating at the time because there I was alone in the bathrooms thank god there was like no other person in there no other woman I felt like the walls were closing in on me it was just the most sort of horrific out of control experience and I had no idea what was going on so I had thought that I was having some kind of genuine you know and clinical uh, mental breakdown or I, I knew something had like I'd sort of lost control 
And again, at the time I didn't realise, but it was the imposter syndrome and the build-up of months and months and months of it that had really triggered that episode. And so when I came out of that, what was was also really interesting about that experience is that on the day this happened, I actually had to go and lead my team into a big meeting. So this was all going on and then I had to basically suck it all back in when I sort of came back to almost consciousness and I'd sweated profusely through my shirt and I was like, like, it was just this horrible experience because I didn't know what was going on. I felt so out of control. I felt so alone. I felt like I was going, you know, in quite crazy. And here's the thing is that I couldn't ask anybody for help. I couldn't tell anyone what just happened because through its nature, which I know now, which I didn't know then, but imposter syndrome, you know, we believe we're the only ones going through it. We do believe at the time we're very much an intellectual fake, phony or fraud. So therefore, by its very nature, we are frightened to tell people about it because we are fearful that they're going to judge us or that they're finally going to find out that we've been fooling them the whole time. So it is this vicious cycle. And one of the strongest emotions attached to imposter syndrome is shame. So we feel shame. And so as you would know, Ali, in your experience, and probably is when we feel shame, we go into our own shell. Well, you know, when we're feeling um, an emotional response of shame, we're not, you know, very rarely when we put our hand up and go, hey, everybody, this is what just happened to me or I want to talk about this. We, we tend to do the opposite, right? We, we, we withdraw. And so this is my sort of episode with imposter syndrome. And as, as dramatic as it sounds, but it's real, is that episode changed the course of my life? Because after, you know, after that day and after that meeting, when I went home that night, I basically went on this huge hunt for information because I'm like, what the hell just happened to me? This can't be, you know, in quote, normal. This is not the first time I've felt this way, but this was certainly, you know, my first panic attack. So everything was just, I was questioning everything. I just, I had this just complete sort of detachment from reality to what was going on. And and then I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. So I was doing this all by myself, you know, my partner knew, but so it's really sort of interesting process. And then that's when I went, as I said, on the hunt for information, I realized that what I was experiencing had a name. And when I came across articles on imposter syndrome, it was literally like they jumped off the screen at me in the premise of reading about the feeling of intellectual phoniness, of reading some of the other earlier studies that had come out of the 70s and 80s. And you're just reading and as you do, then you read more and more. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is me. This is me. No matter how successful I get, I still feel like someone's going to take it away. I still feel like my boss is going to call and fire me. And and it can be a relentless experience for a lot of us because what happens is, is you can't outrun imposter syndrome. So no matter how successful you get, no matter what you chop and change, unless you address it at its core, which is a limiting belief that you hold because of something that's happened to you in your past, it just keeps a hold on you and it will just keep showing up for some of us more prevalent than others, but it has a way of just creeping back up and sort of pulling the rug from underneath you. So that was the start of a whole new journey. So you talk about then chapters, you know, so that chapter, say from then to now, was all about understanding it, navigating through it, overcoming it. Then I became quite obsessed with it, to be honest with you. And then working in technology, I started to see how prevalent it was around me and other people at work experiencing it because I was seeing all the signs in them that I had been through myself, but now I was looking through a new set of eyes because I was navigating myself through it. So I wasn't walking up to people going, hey, sounds like or looks like you're experiencing imposter syndrome, but I was just observing going, 
by the way. Oh, my goodness, this is everywhere. I know, but by the way, I think you might you might want to read this article, right? So it's and as you would know, you know, it's it's very it's very prevalent. So it's estimated that around 70% of individuals might experience this sort of phenomenon, you know, psychological phenomenon and of feelings, you know, where you feel like a fraud, feel like you're fooling everyone despite evidence of success, ability and accomplishment. And out of curiosity, Alison, how much time would you have said was spent inside your head thinking about all of these thoughts, you know, that rumination of like, I'm going to be found out, I can't do this, they're going to judge me. Like if you were to put a number next to that, what would that have looked like for you when it was at its worst? So talking about the working day, so for me, my imposter syndrome only showed up at work. So for some people it shows up in their personal life and work or just personal life. So that's for me pretty much 70 to 80% of every working hour. So think about corporate corporate work. Sometimes you're doing some work later in the evening. So there were very few activities or things that I was doing where it wasn't showing up. You know, when I was maybe doing some basic, I don't know, prospecting or account, I, I worked in commercial roles, you know, so perhaps I was doing a little bit of account management or sort of more internal things, you know, where you're not client facing or it's not tied to revenue or a deal, you're not in a meeting or you're not talking to bosses or stakeholders. But pretty much, honestly, the majority, like let's just say like 80% of every working hour you know, from a corporate working hour perspective, just to give people a, a picture, you know, that's sort of corporate life, it was there prevalent. And before that panic attack, there was several months of that compounding. So I believe, you know, then it was the compounding effect and it came crashing down that day because we were getting ready for that big meeting. And that meeting was the stimuli or the trigger that really brought it to a head because I'm like, I'm about to walk in this meeting and the stakes were high. And even though I was ready for it, my team was ready, things were good, you know, things were in place, but I just lost control of the anxiety, the emotional responses, and then the cognitive functions came crashing down. The cognitive function, it's a brain protection mechanism. And also the other thing that I heard you say when you said you went into that bathroom, I mean, it was so vivid as you were saying, and it was like I was there in the bathroom with you. And you said that you had a few thoughts that ran through your head. And one of them was, I think you mentioned the word, like I might be having a breakdown or something's, you know, something big's happening. I was curious then when you said that, that you didn't go to heart attack. Do you think that there was a sense leading into that, that something was going on, but you just didn't know what it was? Yes, definitely. Because One thing I noticed in myself is that no matter how good things were or if we were performing at work, myself and my team, you know, or our office or organisation or all the good things that were happening, it's like I would see them and I was in them and I would have momentary joy of them, but it always felt like it wasn't enough. It always felt like it wasn't good enough. It was always Mm -hmm. like, oh, but I've got to do the next thing and I've got to. And so I wasn't sitting and internalising the reality of the good things that were happening about me, which again, in hindsight, I know is a symptom of imposter syndrome because we struggle to Mm. internalize our success and accomplishments, which is why we have that continual feeling that we're going to be exposed or found Mm. out. So yes, there, I I started, you know, I started to think about like, why, why am I, why have I got all this? Well, this is going well, but why am I feeling so dissatisfied or why am I constantly looking at the next thing? And so there was all these things going on but then you're kind of you're working and you're brushing to the side and to your point when I got then in the the panic attack it was like I just knew that I had lost control mentally because all of a sudden Mm. the physical aspects took over 
So I, you know, I'm pretty good, I guess, through the nature of being very resilient, of having good emotional regulation. I'm very resilient. I can take a lot, endure a lot, process things very, very well. Another silver lining sometimes of having difficult childhoods is our ability to, and I mean compartmentalise, but in safe ways and ways that support us and help us create boundaries to navigate through, so not in like denial phases or anything like that. But so because I was crashing down so hard, I just realised that you know, I'd lost control of my mind or because my mind had taken over my body. So it was interesting. It was complete loss of control. I couldn't stop what was going on. It's great to hear that self-awareness piece because some people have it and some don't. You know, we were actually able to hear when you were saying that, that there was a level of like, this doesn't feel right. And I know that I'm in trouble here, but I know that it's happened because of X, Y, and Z. You've mentioned a few times about your childhood. I'm wondering when you say it felt like, you know, things were shutting down. I imagine that that was twice as challenging having had a difficult childhood because you're resilient. You know you're resilient and you've made it through tough things. And then being in this position, I can imagine that there was something about that that would have been hard within itself. Yes, it was because I had built up such a dependence, I guess for a better word, on being able to pick myself up and dust myself off all throughout my life. Now, that's not to say, and I'll come back to the childhood piece in a moment, but one thing that helped me survive a difficult childhood was there were people around me that offered support. Because my difficult childhood was driven primarily through things that my mother had done. But outside of her, I still had my father. I grew up in a European family, so we had godparents. My godparents were close to me. So I had other support functions and structures. And I know hand on heart today, Ali, that if I didn't have those, I probably would have gone down a very different path because I feel very fortunate and I know how fortunate I am to have had that because that is really what helped me survive and not, as we can see, a lot of other, other people can go down detrimental paths because they don't have the support. So that's something I honestly feel blessed for every single day because it probably, no doubt, so not probably, like did really save me you know, at that time. So I had that. So I want to be transparent about that because when I said before about my ability to sort of dust myself up and get up all the time, I want to be clear to everyone listening that I didn't do that by myself all the time. But when I did have to do it by myself, I was able to do it. So yes, I built up this dependence of no matter what's thrown at me, I can handle it. And back to what you're saying is then I lost complete control in this moment and no longer could handle this that was happening. And so for me, in my mind, back to what you're saying, I'm like, I'm losing control. Like, how is this happening? So they were probably like the, you know, the, the thoughts going through. And I think a bit of shock, to be honest, because it was so significant. And even though it had been creeping up, then it just went literally bang, like somebody had literally pulled the rug from underneath me. And so I think there's an element of shock. That's the only way I know how to describe it. But that element of, gosh, I can't believe this is happening, even though it was happening and I knew it was happening. So I think the the self-talk was going between what the hell is happening? Oh, my God, this is happening. I've lost control. And then somewhere in between there, it was just ping-ponging backwards and forwards in those, you know, few that time I was in the bathroom, which was probably, you know, I don't know, like 15 to 20. It wasn't like hours because I also then had to pull it together to get into this meeting. But I think back in hindsight as well that I wonder because somewhere in my mind I knew I had to pull it together to get into that meeting if that was actually the circuit breaker of 
the panic attack, if you know what I'm saying, and obviously we'll never have the answer to that because I can't go back in time, but I wonder if I didn't have to, like, when the rational mind come back in and said, you better get it together, girl, because you've got to get to this meeting down the road soon. So I often think about the timing of that and was how that all fit together. And also you would be, in a way, discovered if you didn't pull it together. You know, there's an element of like that imposter syndrome would have also leveled up because it was like, they'll know, you know. So at some point that would have kicked in, I'd imagine. And you mentioned a few times about your childhood. I was thinking it might be helpful for us just to have a little bit of a conversation around that because I know I'm thinking, well, what is it? When I was four years old, my parents went through a really horrible divorce, like the worst of the worst divorces. And that really tore our family apart. Now, the catalyst for the divorce was my mother. I guess for to keep it PC today, my mother was not a not a very nice person. And basically, she just got up one day and left and abandoned my two brothers and I. And then she came back a few months later and then started this divorce proceedings and it was a horrific battle. And what happened was is she never wanted custody of me but she just wanted to hurt my father. So she fought for custody of me and not my brothers simply to rip me out of our household. And back in the family law days of 1989 in Australia, family law court really favoured mothers, especially with young daughters. And so despite all of us living in our family home that my mother left, despite me growing up with my brothers and my father and having a close relationship, someone at the law court in New South Wales, decided to award me custody to my mother, pull me out of my family home, pull me out of my school, pull me away from my loving father and brothers and give me to this woman who essentially was and is a terrible person. So that decision made by that court really, you know, impacted my life anyway. So I got I got pulled away just a few suburbs over, but still, you know, your life is a four-year-old. This is happening between the ages of four and seven as well. So as you know, a critical development periods, identity, things like that. And so what came out of that, and again, because, you know, I could talk, talk about this for hours, but to keep it in the contents of today is, you know, I was ripped away and then my mother wasn't a great person. I was, you know, exposed to a lot of mental abuse from her, physical abuse. Then she went on to marry another man who was also an awful human. That exposed me to horrible mental abuse, physical abuse from both of them, and then some other subsequent things off the back of that. So it was just such a horrible time. And it was difficult for me because I endured a lot of that in silence because I never wanted to tell my father what was happening to me because I knew that it would break his heart and I knew that then he would be on a mission to do something. And I there were all these things going on, as you can imagine, as a child. And so I carried a lot of this in silence and a lot of this alone. And then endured that for many, many years until I was moved into my teenage years and then, you know, some things started to change. But what come out of that and how that links to my imposter syndrome, which is something I want to share, is that because my mother sort of abandoned me and all these things happened, it impacted my self-worth. So even though I was a confident little girl, I had a lot of friends at school, I played a lot of sports, I was very good at mixing with people, so I had confidence but my self-worth had taken a hit. And so that manifested for me later in life as imposter syndrome because no matter how capable and confident I became, no matter how much I succeeded at school or college or at work, deep inside me I still never felt good enough because the inherent limiting belief that I held 
deep down was, well, if my own mother couldn't love me, if my own mother did this to me, then how good can I really be? You know, how worthy can I really be? How can I go on to deserve this stuff? And that is also the clear distinction. I know, Ali, you would know this in your work, between our self-worth and our self-confidence because they're two fundamentally different things, right? And our worth is tied to who we are, the person, our identity, our belief system, the core essence of looking in and being happy and satisfied and loving ourselves as the human being that we are. It's not about what we do or the skills that we possess or the actions that we can demonstrate. And so I had this duality going on where I was confident, I was you know, popular, I had great social networks, I was good at sports, I was doing all these things, but obviously carried this underlying belief that often when I closed the door or was achieving these things deep down, I always thought, mm, is someone going to work this out one day that, you know, I'm, I'm not really good enough to be doing this, that I don't like, who am I to be stepping in the room? I mean, I'm in here now and let's see how long I can last before they find out. This was a sort of dialogue that used to start in me. So that's part of my imposter syndrome origin story, which all of us have. But that's a little bit about the the childhood. And, you know, there were some very, very tough days there. And that is why now in my my adult life, I'm a staunch supporter and advocate for domestic and family violence and, you know, contributing to causes around that, because that is something that, you know, I've had my life threatened many times. I've had the most horrific things and threats made against my safety. I've had some, you know, there are some horrible things that have happened and some times when I have been in absolute, absolute danger. And now all of our stories are different, so I'm not comparing my journey with other family or domestic violence, but I do know what it's like to have a fear that somebody is going to come and hurt you and a fear of losing your life or your life being at risk. And it is also debilitating. And actually it's making me, sorry, a little bit of emotional talk. So, so for me at the moment, as I'm sure for all of us across Australia or wherever you are listening to this, and we see the horrific family and domestic violence rates in Australia and the women that are dying each year, it's incredibly triggering for me because as I'm sure it is for many of us in all different ways because of that history. So that's a little bit about that. And then, again, it can show up in other ways for us, and I've had a lot of you know, years to deal with that. But for me, from a, the rest of the story, is that that is really what drove into the imposter syndrome piece in me is because despite being confident, despite being capable, despite being independent, I carried this inherent belief that I wasn't good enough, and my mother caused that. It, it did, you know, sometimes we say we're quick to blame our parents, you know, and just to like, you know, we might say, oh, it was my mother. But in my, case, in my case, and I do laugh when I share this story, in my case, it was my mother. My, my mother was the absolute, you know, antagonizer. She's an absolutely horrible person. And that's really sad and hard to deal with as well because I went through a lot of guilt growing up because I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I'm a product of this woman. This woman gave birth to me. I carry some of her genes in me. And, you know, you feel sick at times because you want to be so removed from that person. And that in itself, as you know, from a psychological point of view, is also very confronting 
at different points in your life until you learn how to cope with that and move on from it, which I've done. And Alison, I just want to take a moment there and just, you know, wholeheartedly give you the biggest cuddle through the screen because I, there were so many oh, times in you. that that my eyes welled up. Me too. <laughs> but you know why they welled up? And I want to let you know this was because I actually was so freaking proud of you sitting in front of me. My tears were because I was like, you are a strong woman who has been able to identify the words that you've used throughout this episode are like the the shame and the guilt and the feeling exposed and those limiting beliefs that you're not good enough that have held you back and the fact that you're sitting here and sharing your story and and doing the things that you're doing around the world in the space of imposter syndrome like my heart was breaking it, but at the same time it was swelling with pride for you. So I just wanted to let you know that that was my experience as you spoke. You know, the fact that you've even got a voice now is incredible. Thank you. That means a lot. And now I have to say I'm a little bit emotional too, which I I didn't expect because as I shared, I'm pretty good at emotional regulation, but you move on, but you don't forget. It's very raw to the point now. Yes, my eyes are welling up right now, but I can have this conversation and I do feel tremendously fortunate to be able to have the conversation and to be in this position and, again, a credit to the support networks that I have had, which I know, again, I've been very fortunate because a lot of people don't have that. And and I thank them all the time as well and these people that I'm talking about know the profound impact that they've had because I can honestly say that as much as I've spoken about my own resilience and independence, I have not done this alone. That's the, that's the takeaway I want to put you to. I have not come through this shitstorm, pardon the language, on my own. You know, I'm not a superhero. It's been a collaborative journey with a lot of people who have helped me and I'm very grateful for that. And I guess for our listeners out there, if you're hearing this, I guess that's what we can take on board is that we can be one of those support people for someone, you know, so we can stand and hold space Mm. and hold ground and show nurture and show trust and show safety for the people that are going through it. And then hopefully one day they'll have the space where they can start to do some self-exploratory work, where they can start to do the healing work. And I think one of the biggest things that helped me in the beginning is that just that there were people there to listen. And so what I mean by that is sometimes we just want someone to listen with an empathetic ear. We're not ready for the solution yet. We're not ready for the strategy yet. We're not ready to book the slot with our therapist yet. We'll get there. But one of the best things you can do for someone is just give them an empathetic ear. So I think a lot of us can be, because we care so much, can go go full-blown into, let me help you do this. Let's do a solution. Let's book this. But sometimes, I just want to put it out there, is some people might want that. Absolutely. But sometimes the best thing you can do is just listen. Just pull up a cup of tea or coffee and listen to the person. Alison, I could sit in this space. I think we both can feel that right now. Like you and I could both just sit here and have a conversation about this and that's because we both stand here as survivors. But you have mentioned a few times about 2019 and, and where you are now and I think it's just as important for people to hear about how we travel through life and how we end up in a place where we are content and where we are in a place where we're having an impact and we're doing things that we love and we're passionate about and that you can move on from some of those limiting beliefs that have held so strong for so many years, decades, these limiting beliefs that have held, you know, chains around our hearts and around our souls. So do you want to tell us a little bit about 2019 to now? Yeah, absolutely. So 2019 was another big jump for me because, you know, coming through the imposter syndrome, learning to manage it, coming out of it and, you know, alleviating it within myself and then seeing it around me, 
I had had a desire to run my own business for a long time. As I've shared, I held leadership roles in technology. So whilst I was working in my own time behind the scenes, I went off and did my coaching certifications and a few other bits and pieces to set myself up to step into my own business. And then in 2019, I did that. So I stepped out of corporate. I resigned, launched, you know, I'm, I'm a Gemini. So I say this in jest because what I mean by that is I'm either all in or I'm not in. So I'm an all or nothing gal. So it hit 2019 and I'm like, I'm resigning. I'm chucking myself in my own business. There was no sort of teetering, you know, over the fact that just doesn't work for me. I know we're all different. So launched myself into the business. I knew I wanted to coach individuals on building and enhancing their confidence and overcoming, you know, understanding and overcoming their imposter syndrome, fears and doubts. And so that's what I began to do in 2019. And now fast forward, you know, four years to where we are today in this conversation. And, you know, I've been able to expand that expertise. I'm still a student. So I've been studying and working with imposter syndrome through myself and then through clients, you know, for a decade now, doing it full-time for the last four years. I've worked with individuals and organisations all around the world and because it is truly a global phenomenon as well, imposter syndrome. And that journey is something I'm very proud of because, you know, not only am I proud of the work that I have been able to do, but more importantly, I'm proud of the work that my clients have done and the store and the brave, you know, sharing and the courage that my clients have shown and the people that I speak to and our ability to come together and collaborate is a really beautiful thing and to see their change and to see their growth and to see them understand, dismantle and navigate through imposter syndrome, which is what my passion is, because some of us can eliminate it entirely and some of us learn how to manage it. So when it does pipe its head up, we can control it. Back to that locus of control, go, oh, this is my imposter syndrome. I'm not going to let it take over. I'm not going to start self-sabotaging. What levers have I got here to pull and to manage this and, you know, get a blanket on it and dumb it down so it doesn't impact us. And so that's been the journey for me. And I'm really excited by the work that I do. You know, it's just been a phenomenal experience and to 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 be doing the work that I'm doing and meet the people that I'm meeting. And so that's been my journey. So you know over the last decade, you know, some big things coming for next year and, and the years to come as well. And and then also, you know, my networks and my work, Ali leading me to you and this conversation today. And thank you for creating this space and so thrilled, you know, to be talking to your audience and whoever's listening to this, you know, as part of that journey and as part of getting the information about imposter syndrome out there, showing people that I'm not exempt from it. In fact, I was so debilitated by it that that's what essentially led to this path because I know the power of once you understand it, you can navigate through it. And why it's important, though, because one thing quickly I want to cover for you, for anyone listening to this, is that imposter syndrome is heavily linked. So there's plethora of research out there if you're interested in, in checking it out or you can read any of my work on my website. Imposter syndrome is heavily linked to clinical and psychological mental health conditions, mental illness conditions, I should say, like chronic anxiety, clinical burnout, depression, addiction. There are people who have identity crises, so many elements, and, and those elements, as we all know, have a profound impact on our lives, right, emotional health, physical health, mental health, financial health. So imposter syndrome is a big deal. It impacts a lot of people and its impact is great, which is why if you're experiencing it, you're not, you're not alone. In fact, you're in the majority. But it's really important if you are, don't shy away from it 
we really need to, for a better term, and I know this is overused, but it's true, is we actually need to lean into imposter syndrome, understand our own journey with it, and literally start to pick it apart. That's how we move through it and we strip away its power. Like most most fears and belief, you know, it's we've got to change the beliefs that we hold. And I know, Ali, you understand that in your work, and we can do that. Is my takeaway here is that can be done, but we must apply ourselves to it. So, but if we do that, we will free ourselves from its hold. And that was exactly what I wrote down then. And you just summed it up beautifully because I was like, we need to identify and explore and understand and then have some strategies or tools and share it. But the thing that we haven't said there, and I think you've mentioned it, I just want to bring it to the surface, is silence breeds shame. And shame sits very deeply. And shame's an emotion we don't talk about. It's like this unspoken emotion. And I think we, when we live with shame, when we live with shame, it eats us alive. And so we all experience shame to different levels at different times in our lives. But let's open the conversation up around shame. I agree. I echo everything that you just said. And I always say uh, to people, when you are ready to speak to someone or share your story or bounce off someone or sit down and have that empathetic ear or choose someone that offers you psychological safety that you feel safe with. And what I mean by that is in our lives, sometimes there are people we want to talk to, we wish we could talk to, but when you really look within yourself, you know that they're not the person to talk to because you know deep down that for whatever reason, they don't offer psychological safety. Maybe, and it's not because they're necessarily malicious, it could be just because they're, they just don't know how to keep the attention, they don't know how to open their emotion, they're just not good listeners, they're too busy with their own opinions. So find someone that you trust, someone that you believe offers you safety and, and have those conversations, right? And I know, you know, you would support that too, Ali, because but what can be confronting sometimes is sometimes the person we wish we could have the conversation with is not the person we can have the conversation with. I'm just calling that out now because don't ruminate on that. Look for a person who's going to give you psychological safety because that's when you truly open up and that's when we can share, especially when it comes to shame. And to your point, shame does keep us in silence. And that is how a lot of perpetrators out there keep victim survivors silent is because they play on the shame aspects. And, yes, we can find someone we feel safe with and there are also people out there, resources, groups. You know, we have so much at our fingertips now. I encourage you to find the right person who you can sit and have that conversation with. And as you know, Ali, one conversation can make a profound impact. Just one conversation flicks that first domino and the impact is profound. And I can imagine that this conversation will be that for someone out there today. They Hearing your story, there will be something that just the penny will drop. And if that's you, you know, it's it's just finding that very next step, whatever that step is. And it doesn't have to look like someone else's next step. Where do people find you, Alison, if they want to get in touch after this beautiful conversation? Thank, firstly, thank you. I have loved being in this conversation with you. And I'm really easy to find. So alisonshamir.com on my website, and you can see a, a bunch of information there. But more importantly, you can check out my blogs, which have amazing you know, free content for you all and tips and links and resources that can really help you if you're interested in exploring these topics that I speak about. Or come find me on LinkedIn or Instagram at Alison Shamir across all platforms. Or you can use the fabulous Google and uh, just Google Alison Shamir, and that's going to bring up a bunch of links as well. So nice and easy. 
If you're listening to this and you have questions, comments, I welcome it or please come say hi. Slide into one of those inboxes and please come say hi. I always welcome the connection. And we'll also pop all of those in the show notes, guys. So you can always jump on our show notes or jump in challenges that change us Facebook group and we will have that information on Alison, especially as we air this episode. Alison, I love to finish every conversation that I have with one of our guests to ask who or what in your world truly makes you barely laugh? If it's okay, I might share something more that just makes me smile, you know, consistently. And I, I think there'd be some laughs certainly along the way. But I think something that really makes me smile and feel alive every day, and there's definitely some laughs in there, is just the networks of women that I am, you know, amongst. So I'm such an advocate of women. And when I'm seeing other women do great things, you know, like being here on this podcast with you, and we've actually had a, we had a laugh at the start of this chat, I think just being amongst amazing women and being an advocate of women and seeing women around the world do great things. I think coming off the Matildas, you know, we're all riding high on that here in Australia, the Soccer World Cup. I think that brings me immense joy and lots of laughs along the way. And as I said, back to starting this episode with you having a laugh. So that's probably how I would answer that question today. It's a bit of a collective sharing of, I think, laughs and joys that that sort of that's what really sits around me, you know, every day as opposed to isolating, you know, sort of right now one particular angle. Thank you so much, Alison, for coming on and sharing your story so openly and so raw and with so much strength as well. Like I felt so much strength coming through and I love that. Like I just love feeling that, but as equally feeling that vulnerability. So thank you for for opening your world up to all of us today. Thank you. And thank you for creating this space because it's not something I don't traditionally get this role. And I really want to commend you for that because you created this beautiful space. And in the short time we've been able to chat, you've been able to create that. So thank you very much. And there you have it, an incredibly moving conversation with Alison. I hope you were as touched and inspired by her journey as I was. Her expertise in imposter syndrome coupled with her personal experience creates a narrative not only relatable, but also empowering, right? As we wrap up this episode, I encourage you to reflect on the themes that we've explored from imposter syndrome to the profound effects of family domestic violence. If you found value in today's episode, don't hesitate to share it with others who might benefit from these discussions as well. And a reminder, if you know someone who is dealing with imposter syndrome or the effects of family violence, seeking support is crucial. Reach out to professionals, friends or organisations that can provide some assistance. Thank you, Legends, for joining us today. And I cannot wait to share next week's episode with you. And until next time, have a great week. Thank you, everyone, for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode. Oh, 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 oh,